Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. It's page 847, if you have the Coffee House Bible, 847. This is part two of a series called Oikos is Home. And in part one last week, I looked at a house on the rock. If you don't know this, oikos is, is a Greek word. It's in our New Testaments. It just means house or home or family or household. And what I'm doing is looking at how Matthew uses this language of oikos. And one of the ways he uses oikos language is to say that we have to be a house built on the rock. And at the end of Matthew 7, last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus says that the only way to have a durable, secure house is to build it on discipleship to him. As a church, if we want to be strong and secure, if we want to be fruitful, he says, you have to walk in discipleship to me. That is the foundation. That is the mission of what we're doing here. He says, you have to be, have it where the outside and the inside match each other. And so our mission as a church is to see people deeply transformed, not on outward superficial ways, but on a heart level, deeply transformed by God's grace. That's, that's a pillar of what we're about as a church. But today, part two, a house of prayer, another way that Matthew uses oikos. But today, we already prayed, right? We combined prayer and race and justice. And did anybody feel a little uncomfortable as we did that? You don't, I don't actually want you to say out loud if you did or not. I just want you to kind of reflect on that experience of confessing racial sin. Prayer and race and justice. It's things that we know are important, but it's things we find a hard time talking about. Many of us walk on eggshells around these topics, particularly when they're all combined. And some of us just smash those eggshells, and you're the reason that the rest of us walk on eggshells around it. Just so you know, it's delicate, it's sensitive, it's important. How do we, how do we move forward? But it's interesting that we often don't move forward as, as a church, that prayer and race and justice are kind of odd things. It's an odd combination to bring together as a church. And I'm not sure this, this should be so. It's, it feels like an odd combination. It can feel especially awkward to confess racial sins. I get it. Those are loaded issues. On the other hand, prayer and race and justice, it's odd that it's an odd combination because of how central and, and important they are to God and to God's people in Scripture. These three themes weave together in our text today. Prayer, ethnicity, race, and justice. Our text today is a house of prayer. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Have you ever heard this before? Yeah. But our familiarity with this is not because of prayer and race and justice and how it's combined. We know this text for a variety of reasons. A lot of them are because it's controversial. Some of us know this text because this is the go-to text. This is where Jesus cleanses the temple. In the Gospel of John, it says that he fashions a whip, and he drives out the sheep and the oxen and the doves. He drives out the money changers, and he flips over tables. And for any of us who struggle with anger, we love this text because this is the angry Jesus text. And if you're ever worried about the church going soft, this is your go-to. This is why we know this, because this proves that Jesus gets angry just like me, right? This is, this is why we know this text, because we're angry and we hope that Jesus can give us some, some empathy there. 
We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But another reason that we know this text is particularly for Bible nerds. We argue about this text and how many times this story happened. How many times did Jesus cleanse the temple and, and drive him out? Now, let me introduce you to this, uh, this controversy if you're not one of those weird Bible nerds like me. You see, all four Gospels tell this story that we're going to look at today. Now, outside like the, the, the betrayal, the arrest, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there's only like four or five stories that all four Gospels tell. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a version of the story we're going to look at today. It's clearly important, but... In the Gospel of John, it happens at the very beginning of his ministry. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it happens at the very end of his ministry. So some people say, well, this happened twice. Unfortunately, none of the Gospels say it happened twice. <laughs> so it, it, it has a little controversy to it. Did it happen twice or did it happen once? Um, I heard, what, I think, one of my professors, he says, have you ever gotten in, this is like a dated reference now. You can tell when I was in seminary. Where you opened a DVD and it had like a scene, <laughs> yeah, I know. There were, used to be these things called DVDs, and there was, there was a scene select option. And in scene select, I used to do this with my favorite movie in high school called Gladiator. I didn't want to watch all the stuff with the father and the son and the love story. I just wanted some, some of those cool battle scenes. And so I would select my favorite shots, and I would just watch those. Now, whatever that says about me, ignore that. That's not the point. The point is, <laughs> some are saying that maybe John is like this, or maybe a better, better metaphor is, if you ever gone to a funeral and somebody wants to eulogize the deceased, they want to tell the best stories and they may not be in chronological order. So some say John is doing that, but whatever we say about how many times it happened, was it once or was it twice? That's not our point today. The point is John saw this was so important that he began his gospel with this. This is this is setting the trajectory for everything he was about to do. And then every gospel repeats it. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all show us that this is why Jesus was killed. This is the catalyst for his assassination. This is an important story, but it's important for reasons beyond controversy and beyond our own anger issues. It's important because of the interweaving of prayer and race and justice. I'm excited to share this this text with you because it's going to be part of our bedrock, part of our foundation, part of what we mean by oikos, a house of prayer. The scene shows up in three stages. If you're looking at Matthew chapter 21, there's three symbolic actions that Jesus does. He, he's a prophet, like the prophets of the Old Testament, who he's not only speaking but he's enacting, he's symbolizing something as he does it. And so let's pay attention. This is the first symbol that Jesus does in Matthew chapter 21. Look at these highlighted phrases. Do you see, as they approached Jerusalem, let me set the stage just for our, our, our context. Matthew tells the story of a journey to Jerusalem. Do you see it? 21, they're finally ending the long story. And we're not going to tell the whole story today, right? But this story started at, at Caesarea, and then it went through Capernaum, and he's been heading south for chapter after chapter after chapter, from just step after step after step. He's been heading to Jerusalem because something is happening there. Along the way, as his crowd builds, so does the tension, because he continues to warn them as he heads, heads south towards Jerusalem, when I get to Jerusalem, the scribes and the chief priests 
they're going to reject me and they are going to mistreat me and they are going to crucify me. But the third day I will rise. He says it one time. He says it a second time. He says it a third time. And as he continues to say this, the expectations are still off balance. They think they're marching with the new king to Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, you're marching to my crucifixion. As they approach Jerusalem, the finale of this story, of this, of this journey, they came to Beth, Bethphage. I've struggled with saying this word. Can, can you say this word, Bethphage? Everybody else can say it. It's just me. This is a word that just means house of the early figs. Do you hear the language of figs? Hold on to that. Everything about this is intricately and ornately designed by Matthew and Jesus. He's on the, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Do you see how everything is orchestrated. He's like an MI6 agent, 007 here. He's got his code word, the Lord needs them. It's like, these are not the droids you're looking for. Everything is, is set up and designed. Jesus is highly intentional in orchestrating what's about to sh the showdown. There's a lot of commentators, they, they speak to this orchestration. R.T. France, he says, Jesus, his arrival in Jerusalem is deliberately dramatic. He's going to do a symbol in just a moment. Craig Keener, he says, Jesus is, he virtually provoked his impending death. Another teacher, it's public, it's calculated. Another teacher, it's deliberately staged. He's drawing attention, not so dissimilar from the methods of the civil rights leaders in the 1960s, to intentionally draw crowds for the sake of attention and, if it came to it, suffering. He's, he's a prophet with a prophetic edge, intentionally raising all of these things. But do you see what he's, he's looking for? It's a donkey. Why? Why a donkey? That seems like a weird thing to ride into town on. It's weird, except that a donkey is exactly what King David rode into town on when his kingdom was restored. It's weird, except that when the son of David, his name's Solomon, the son of David, when he was crowned king, he rode into town on his father's donkey. This is Jesus getting on the donkey just like the true son of David would. And he goes with the crowds behind him, and look what, they, look what they do. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. This is Zechariah 9.9. He's fulfilling the story of God, fulfilling the prophets on a colt on the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. The Lord has need of it. And they, they brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on him for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. This is a symbol that comes from the Maccabean Revolution. The, the Maccabees were Jewish revolutionaries. Whenever Rome overthrew the Jewish people, Judas the hammer, that's what Maccabeus means, Judas the hammer raised up soldiers and they went and they destroyed them. They were like bandits. They were, they were like the people who hide in the rocks and, and jump out like Robin Hood and not his men in tights. What's the other one? His friend, merry, friend, merry men, yes. Where they would surprise attack. 
and they won their independence, and then to celebrate, they would throw out palm branches. This is liberation. This is the king coming. This is somebody who's going to knock down Rome once again. A very large crowd. They've been journeying from Caesarea through Capernaum down to Jerusalem, and the crowd gets bigger and bigger. Part of this is because of the season of the year. It's Passover season. And in Jewish law, all the men are required to attend the Passover feast. Hundreds of thousands of people would come to Jerusalem. They would come from all over the empire, but particularly in Judea. They would come to celebrate Passover. Jerusalem wasn't a big enough town to hold them, and so there would just be people camping all over the countryside, waiting to worship God in His temple and to celebrate Passover. But part of this crowd was being gathered from the nobodies, from the Nazareths of the world, from the Galilees of the world. The farmers were coming in, and this crowd of nobodies, of the outcasts, was coming into the city with Jesus. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna, it means save us. Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They're starting to realize who this man is. And they're saying it out loud. This is the king. He's finally coming to save us. Finally coming to save us. But when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. I want to just note there's a shift here from the large crowd of Galileans. Now where are they? These aren't people walking in from the countryside. These are the city people. When they show up to the city people, the city was stirred, and they ask, who is this? Notice, everybody else knows who this is. This is Hosanna. This is Yahweh coming. This is the son of David. This is the new king. But the people in the city, this is their first introduction to him, it seems like. And so the crowds answered. You see the two groups, the crowds and the city. Some people are confused about how the same people who could say Hosanna to the son of David a week later are crucifying him, shouting, crucify him, crucify It's different groups of people. He has the crowds who are camping along the countryside, but the people in the city answer, or the, the crowds answer the people in the city, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He's the country bumpkin, come to the big city, and they are saying that he's the king. The triumphal entry is the first part of the symbol. It sets the stage for really the focus, which is the second symbol. The focus is the second symbol. Verse 12. So he goes and he enters the temple courts. He, he journey all the way down to Jerusalem, and now he's stepping into the temple courts. The temple is itself a really small building, but it has this huge courtyard. Um, let's say a little smaller than like the developed part of the Memphis Zoo. That's about how big the temple grounds are. Memphis Zoo is somewhere between 50 and 70 acres. The temple court is about 40, 45 acres. It's a big place. And there's 180,000 people trying to get in, into it on this day. It's very crowded. And they're there to worship. In this huge courtyard, you, you would see men, you would see women, you would see Jewish people, and you would see foreigners. But in the inner temple itself, only male Jews can go. All of the nations and all of the women are excluded from, from what happens 
at the sacrificial area for worship. So he goes into the temple courts, enormous amounts of people on Passover week, and it says he drove out all who were buying and selling there. I think this word drove out is a quotation from Hosea chapter 9. Hosea says that my people Israel, you're going after idols. And he says, I will drive you out of my house. In the, the Greek version of Hosea, he uses this word. Jesus is doing exactly what the prophet said needed to be done to God's house. I, he drove out all who were buying and selling there, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Here we are, angry people. Let's, let's hear it. Jesus got angry. And I've even heard some people say Jesus lost his temper. Let me push back, okay? First is Jesus, <laughs> okay? Uh, if self-control is a fruit of the Spirit and Jesus was sinless, it doesn't make any sense that he would lose his self-control. More than that, I think the text itself suggests that this isn't what was happening. But you really need to look at the Gospel of Mark. Mark's version, it shows that the first day Jesus marches into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple courts, looks around, and then goes back to Bethany to spend the night. This isn't somebody who flips his lid because he's surprised by what's happening. This is somebody who has observed what has happened, went to bed planning what to do the next day. And he plans, again, a highly intentional symbolic demonstration to draw attention to what is happening here. This is not a RT France. It was less a spontaneous outburst of anger than a planned act of defiance and public demonstration of the Messiah's authority. So this is a deliberate, intentional act. It's not him losing self-control. But aside from the controversy around anger, I think we should be asking, what made Jesus so angry to do this? And again, it's that intersection of prayer and race and justice. What, what is the problem that makes Jesus angry enough to flip over the tables or in the Gospel of John to fashion a whip of cords and to drive out the animals? Let's, let's ask this question. There's a few hints here. The first thread seems to be connected to money changers, selling doves, and den of robbers. Here's what I think most of my upbringing, what I thought this story was about. I thought it was about the exploitation of the poor. Here's the reasons. You see the selling doves. Doves are the sacrifice not of wealthy people, and whatever we would call middle class, they don't really have a middle class, but people who could afford any kind of animal were required by law to offer the animal, the sheep, the oxen, large expensive animals. Only the poor could have the exception of just buying a dove or a pigeon. And it, it says in this text that he's selling, it's for those poor, it seems to be the poor people who are being exploited. And then the money changers and den of robbers, it sounds like den of robbers is people are robbing here, right? Can I, can I just offer another reading of this? And actually, it's not a different reading. It's saying, yes, and, but I, I mostly want to push back on this phrase, den of robbers, den of robbers. Did anybody ever like watch old westerns growing up? Um, there's this famous outlaw gang called the Hole in the Wall Gang. Anybody ever heard of the Hole in the Wall Gang? Okay, just me and my granddad, I guess. So the Hole in the Wall Gang, they would go rob trains, they would go rob banks, 
And then they would go to a hole in the wall in a canyon for safety. There was a hole in the wall of a canyon that then that was their, that was their den. That was their safety place. But do you know what they weren't doing in the hole in the wall? They weren't stealing. They stole elsewhere, and then they came into this place and thought they were safe. All right, that, that's a clue for what's coming up with the prophets. The den of robbers is not where they do their crimes. It's where criminals go for safety. And besides the, the selling doves, he didn't just stop the selling of doves. He stopped all buying and selling. In, again, in the Gospel of Mark, he says that he did not allow them to carry a single thing through. That is, he didn't just stop money changers and people exploiting and having high prices and gouging like, like uh, gas prices after a hurricane around the coast. That's not what's happening. He shuts it all down on Passover week. He says there will be no sacrifices. You see, money changes are important because before you can offer sacrifice, law requires that you pay the temple tax. You have to pay the temple tax in the currency of the land. So if you're coming from out of town, you have to exchange your currency for their currency to pay the tax. Only then can you offer your sacrifice. Most of you don't really care about that. But here's the idea. Is it like, you're talking about tax code in the first century? Yes. But the reason is because it's also the atonement system for ancient Israel. If you want to be right with God, it requires the blood of bulls and goats. It requires the death of an animal. And he is saying, no more sacrifices. He's, he's replacing the atonement system. With what? Well, wait for Friday and you'll see. He's replacing the atonement system in Israel with himself. This wasn't a permanent thing. They would go on doing this the next day and for weeks and years after until the temple was destroyed. But Jesus is symbolically showing this is the end of atonement through the means of animals. Yes, there's an element of poor and exploitation. Yes, that is there. There's an element of justice. I'll, I'll show you in the prophets in just a moment where he's drawing this from. But it's more than that. He's replacing the house of God, that's what they called their temple, with a new house that he is defining. Okay, so he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Do you see the quotation marks? It's because he's quoting the book of Isaiah. Can I just do a little pop-in of Isaiah here? <laughs> Boom. It's like, can you, can you read that? Isaiah 56. He says, in Isaiah 56, this is a little quotation that Jesus is drawing from. He says, foreigners, that is non-Israelites, the nations, that's another way to translate that, the nations who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to worship him, I will bring them to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. You remember, in the temple of Israel, they can't even offer sacrifices. They can't go into the temple. He says, but Isaiah says, one day in the future, I will, I will gladly embrace the worship of the nations. And then he says this, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So there is a thread of justice, justice for the poor, but there is also a thread of ethnicity, of race, because the temple was both exclusionary to the poor and it was exclusionary to the nations. Jesus is saying, I'm redefining my house, my oikos. My oikos is going to be one for all nations. 
the Apostle Paul, he used this oikos language in Ephesians 2. Ephesians, he was a letter to, you know, a city, a church like ours in the first century. And he says that Jews and Gentiles, people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds, he says, you have been invited into one family through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has torn down the dividing wall of hostility, and he is making for himself a new spiritual oikos, a spiritual house. And we are being built by the Spirit into a dwelling place for God. Who? Jesus is saying it's not the structure. It's, it's the people. It's not the house of God, the temple. It's the new house of God, the church. And I am making a multi-ethnic reality here in the church. My oikos will be for all nations. But it will be for all nations for the purpose of prayer, for the purpose of worship. So let, let's keep going. My house will be called a house of prayer, he quotes Isaiah, but you are making it a den of robbers. I've already talked about the hole in the wall gang, but den of robbers is actually a quotation that comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has this nickname in the Old Testament as the weeping prophet. He has a miserable existence. He's rejected most all his life, and he never gets to share good news. Jeremiah's news is that God is going to destroy his people and the temple. Jeremiah 7, this is what he says. This is his anti-temple sermon. He says, don't trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner and the fatherless or the widow and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land that I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Look at what he says. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you haven't known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. Remember the hole in the wall, gang? They go to the hole in the wall, the den of robbers, for safety, as they're oppressing people everywhere else in their lives. He says, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? I have been watching, declares the Lord. Do you hear what he says? He says, if you're doing injustice outside the church, and then you come into the, outside the house, and you come into this house, outside the temple, and come into the temple, and you plead safety, 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 house of the Lord, temple, I'm good, he says, I am watching. This is where it ends. Jesus quotes the weeping prophet's prediction of Jerusalem's destruction. And he says, it's going to happen again. And you know what? Jesus was right. Within a generation, there was not a stone of the temple that was left unturned. The Romans came in and they demolished it. and They annihilated worship. There were no more, there still are not sacrifices. If you go to the temple today, the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim place of worship, stands in its place. He put an end to what was happening in this place. And he said, I am replacing it with a new people who will be a people of justice, who will be a multi-ethnic family, and they will be a people of prayer. This is a hard word. The journey, the first symbol, all building to this moment where he cleanses and curses the temple. Third symbol, um, actually not third symbol yet, 
<laughs> a little aftermath. So as soon as he said that, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. This is the opposite of what King David did. He welcomes in the poor and, and the broken. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Can I just throw this in? I love that I get to hear the voices of children sing and worship at Oikos Church. Um, around churches in our country, the voices of children in worship, you know, they're sent off to another place. Um, now, our teaching is age-appropriate. Our worship is multi-generational. I love that. Um, I get to hear my kids learn how to worship God. And it is the praise of children that prompts the indignation of unrighteous people. <laughs> but, but not Jesus. They are saying, Hosanna, save us, son of David. And then the people said, do you hear what these, these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read? And he quotes Psalm 8. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Now, don't miss this. He says, those children are praising me. Me, Jesus, not, not me, Smith, me, Jesus. He's saying that he is not only the true son of David, that he is God come in the flesh, the divine and human one. They praise me when they say this. And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. End of scene two. All right, scene three. A little quicker. This is, it's really just another symbol to add on to where he drew attention to the intersection of, of prayer and ethnicity and race and justice. He says, early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree by the road. Remember Bethphage? Bethphage is house of the early fig. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Now, fig trees, apparently, are in full leaf only when their fruit is ready and ripe. And he sees one tree of all of them a little early, but it's showing it's got its fruit. And then he looks and he says, this, this doesn't actually have any fruit. It's all a mirage. It's just outside stuff. He said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Do you see what he's talking about? He's not talking about fig trees. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about a place of worship. He's saying the outside doesn't match the inside. It's the same message from the house on the rock that we looked at last week, where the outside has to match the inside. The fruit on the outside has to match the fruit on the inside of a transformed heart. And he's saying it, the fruit is not good in this place. It's showing like you got something to offer, but if you just look inside, there's nothing good. How did it wither so quickly? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith, if you believe and don't doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain. Now my reading of this text has Jesus looking at the temple mount. You remember the language of Isaiah 56? The nations will be welcomed into this mountain and into my house. And Jesus steps up and says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And he's destroying that temple and its mount. I think he's not saying if you talk to a mountain and say move, but this one. I think he's predicting the destruction of the temple. He says, if you tell this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 
meant to grab my phone to check the time. I, let, let me wrap up, and then I want us to pray together. I don't know how long we can pray together yet. Um, give me just a minute. Can I just put these threads together, trying to make some sense of what this can look like in our context? If Oikos is going to be a house of prayer, if part of what we mean by house and home and family means a house and a home and family built on prayer, it has to look like what Jesus is describing that house is going to look like. It has to look like people who care about justice. It has to look like people who are multi-ethnic, and it has to look like prayer and worship. These are three really big pieces to our vision for this year, to explore what city serve and justice in the city can look like. And I'm really excited for Jermaine's help in that effort. It looks like taking steps deeper into a culture of prayer and worship in a couple of ways. Fasting, I mentioned that last week. Um, I'm really excited to do some fasting as a church beginning next month. We're going to have some prayer efforts. But personally, I'm also thinking of this. Yes, I'm thinking of Oikos as a church. But my family, my house, I want to be a house of prayer. And so Kelsey and I are trying to figure out what can our rhythm of prayer as a family and what can my rhythm of prayer personally look like. I I encourage you, please make prayer a priority for your house and our house this year. But one of the ways that all of these show up is in the expression of multicultural worship. This is not something that we've done well at Oikos Church. Um, It's something that I desire, but I'm not... (laughs) I'm not gifted in any way to bring us into multicultural worship. I can't sing. I don't play any instruments. I'm not a worship leader, and I'm a white dude. So that doesn't help us at all. I'm asking the Lord, and he says, if you ask in faith, he says, I'll give you what you ask for in prayer. I'm asking the Lord to to deepen our our culture of prayer at this church. I'm asking the Lord to make multi-ethnic a reality in our church. And I'm asking for that expression of multicultural worship to be able to come to fruition. I'm asking for for those things, and I think that's part of what Jesus wants a house of prayer to be about. It's a house of prayer, and it's a house of prayer for all nations. So it's a house of prayer, and it means all nations. It brings all of this together, prayer, race, and justice. It's not just an MLK weekend time. It's it's a search your heart, continue to seek the Lord, because there are some things that only the Lord can do for us. And I think this is, this is really a big web of those things. So personally, and as a church, can, can we pray about these things? Now, I've been reflecting on this. He says, this is what he ends his section with, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is what I have learned as I continue to grow in prayer that the more I pray, the more I believe. And the more I believe, the more I pray. I mean, seriously. The more you pray, the more you see answered prayers. And no, the Lord does not answer every prayer with a yes. We endure suffering and hardship, but even in suffering and hardship and loss and knows, the Lord is constantly answering many other prayers of his transforming power, of his abiding presence, of his intimate and secure love, the more I pray, the more I see answers to prayers, which means the more I believe. And the more I believe, the more I want to pray and the more things I want to ask the Lord for. And so I'm, I'm convinced that if we just, can I just tell one story? And, and then I want to 
give us a, little, a moment to pray. I was talking to my friend, his name is Andrew this week, he's in Middle Tennessee, and he has started an organization called All Nations, um, I forget the, <laughs> forgive me Andrew, All Nations Coffee Shop basically. And what they want to do is bring in the nations into a coffee shop for community, for work, uh, refugees and immigrants. But he also wants, through that effort, to plan a church, uh, Maranatha Church. It's a, a church for the nations. And they have been asking the Lord to give them a space. And guys, yesterday we were on the phone, and the Lord gave them an extraordinary space to launch both a coffee shop with a worship space above it for basically nothing in one of the busiest, most like well-populated parts of the nations in all of Middle Tennessee. Praise God. He has answered specific prayers in extraordinary ways. He's done the same here. I, I'm excited to share some of those stories next week, but the Lord is on the move, moving ahead of us. And so I, I'm asking, would you join us as we call in his his power for these prayers in this intersection of race, prayer, and justice. Here's, here's what I want to close on. Can you just, like you did at our table time, can you circle up and pray for those three things? Nobody's in charge of your group, right? Just somebody pray, and then somebody else pray, and then somebody else pray. And in a few minutes, I'm going to start praying up here. And if you could stop praying, then we'll go get our kids, okay? Can we, can we just make some time to pray for our house to be a house of prayer?